Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed.
and welcome to Happy Beeps. I'm your host, Jennifer Landa, and today we're going to start off with a little story. As some of you may know, I worked at Disneyland many years ago. I was what they call a face character, meaning that I portrayed a character where you could see my face. But one day, I got to see what it was like to be a fuzzy character. This is a character like Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck, where your entire face and body are covered by a costume. Being a fuzzy character is incredibly challenging, both physically and also acting-wise, because you not only have to move like the character, the only way you can converse is through body language. Also, during summertime, it is extremely hot inside those fuzzy costumes. But I was thrilled to get the chance to portray one of Disney's legendary characters. I'm 5'6", so my character options were kind of limited, but there were still some good ones. Would I be Tigger? Pluto? Rafiki? As the wardrobe ladies began pulling out these glorious furry costumes, I began imagining myself being greeted by happy children who just wanted a hug from Pluto. I must have gotten lost in my daydream because the next thing I knew, I was the only person without a costume. Tigger was taken. Chris had one foot in the Pluto suit. Amber was getting into character as Rafiki. And me? Sorry, the wardrobe lady said. All we have left is Mr. Smee. For those of you that don't know, Mr. Smee is the middle-aged pirate wearing a striped crop top from Peter Pan. He is Captain Hook's bumbling sidekick, and he is not the type of character young kids are waiting in line to see. But I put on the pot-bellied suit and oversized head. I slipped my feet into cartoon-like shoes that were one size too big and covered my hands with white gloves. A small group of us were led to an area in Tomorrowland. We had two character leads, as they're called. Um, They're basically supervisors who would be there to watch our 20-minute set where we would interact with Disneyland guests. While Tigger got mobbed, obviously, I got the occasional, wait, who are you again? Which led to me awkwardly making a hook with my finger and attempting to draw an air mustache on my face. It was an 80-degree morning, so after some time, I was getting really sweaty under that costume. As I tried to bend down to adjust my oversized shoes, my pirate head shifted, leaving the vent part of my mask over my mouth and making me totally unable to see anything but my big feet. I tried not to panic. Thankfully, because Mr. Smee is not a popular character, I knew I wouldn't have to worry about a gaggle of kids clamoring to meet me. 20 minutes turned into 40 minutes, and what I did not know is that my entire group had gone backstage without me. As I tried to move my head, without it looking like I was trying to move my head, I heard a group of prepubescent boys walking towards me. Are you a girl? I mimed no. It's totally a girl. Look at her hands. I mimed the most macho pirate gesture I could. The boys started laughing. It's a girl. It's totally a girl. Suddenly, I felt a kick in my oversized behind. It wasn't a hard kick, but it was definitely a kick. I wanted to say something. I was so mad, you know. I felt so violated and just irritated by these 
little boys. But how could I? If other guests were around, it would break the magic if they heard Mr. Smee yelling, Just what the hell do you think you're doing? I certainly couldn't shove the kicking kid because, again, if anyone saw a Disney character pushing a guest, lawsuit. So, I did nothing. After the kick, the boys quickly left. I eventually found my way backstage, and that was that. I need to say this. This was a very unusual situation. When I did meet and greet guests as a face character, we always had a character host that would speak on our behalf if a guest ever got unruly. That way, I could always maintain my Disney composure. I didn't have to be the bad guy. Now, what those boys did was wrong, but I can see why they thought they were entitled to do it. They know that as a Disneyland character, I am not allowed to be rude to any guest. They have the power because they are our customers. Therefore, they are always in the right. Disneyland is in the hospitality industry and they want all guests to leave with magical memories. The same thing goes for the service industry and having worked in that industry for many, many years, you definitely see the worst sides of humanity. You find yourself often biting your tongue when you know that the customer is clearly wrong, but you can't say it. The reason I share this story is because I think this is why some Star Wars fans have gotten confused lately. Yes, Disney now owns Lucasfilm, but Lucasfilm is not in the service industry. Star Wars actors, writers, and creators are not like Mickey Mouse, who have to be polite in every interaction with fans. And they certainly don't have to put up with any fan kicking them in the behind, metaphorically, of course, on Twitter. For today's episode, I want to explore how Star Wars fan relations have changed over the years. Why are the new crop of Star Wars actors being treated so differently from the old guard? When did the relationship change between fans and actors in these movies we love? And how can fans and creators improve our connection to each other so it's fun again? Let's try to find out. I'm going to break up this show into three sections in the hopes that at the end, we will arrive at a profound conclusion. Ha ha! Tall order, I know. To begin, I want to look back for a moment at how things were in the 1930s and 40s, when the studio system was in place. During that time, five major studios dominated the American film industry. They were Universal Studios, Paramount, RKO, Warner, and 20th Century Fox. The golden age of Hollywood was all about selling glamour and giving hope to American audiences during a bleak time in our history. This is also when young people came to Hollywood hoping to be discovered and then groomed by the studios. While it sounded like a dream, the studios owned their stars and their private lives. The actors would be under contract for seven years, and during that time, the studio boss would mold the actor to become what he and the public wanted to see, both on screen and off. As a result, real-life relationships were destroyed or fabricated, and anything in the actor's life that the studio deemed 
unsavory was hidden from the public. Some stars of that era were Betty Davis, who was under contract at Warner, Shirley Temple, who was uh, under contract at 20th Century Fox, and Katharine Hepburn and Cary Grant over at RKO. Maintaining the perfect image of a star was of the utmost importance. Contracts often had morality clauses in hopes that it would prevent actors from doing drugs or committing adultery. Men behaved like gentlemen, women behaved like ladies. Whenever a female star left the house, she always had to be done up to the nines with her hair perfectly coiffed and makeup beautifully done. While there were gossip columns, if the studios came across a story they didn't like about one of their stars, they'd just pay off the reporter not to print it, or they'd promise them a juicy scoop later on. Stars were owned by the studios, and everything that audiences saw about these celebrities was carefully calculated and cultivated. Movie stars were like gods and goddesses. Their beauty was unattainable, their poise and confidence was admired. Mere mortals would most likely never come in contact with a star from Hollywood, so they would write letters to their favorite celebrities and ask them for a headshot adorned with an autograph. During the golden age of Hollywood, the interactions between fans and celebrities was, for the most part, amiable, cordial, and pleasant. Eventually, the big stars began to realize that they had a tremendous amount of power. After all, it was their faces that were driving audiences to the movie theaters, not Louis B. Mayer's. Stars like Elizabeth Taylor, Marilyn Monroe, and Betty Davis wanted to be in control of their careers and their images. Actors began demanding higher rates for their work. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars, which at that time had been unheard of. Actors hired agents to help them negotiate their contracts with studios, and studios began losing their power over talent. By the 1960s, the studio system was dead. But the star system had just begun. It paved the way for talent who looked unconventional and quote-unquote real. They were method actors. They had Brooklyn accents, Texan accents, and any type of accent other than a mid-Atlantic accent. They were activists, vocal about their opinions, and weren't going to live their life for anyone but themselves. Since the 1960s and 70s, the star system has been in place, and has given birth to movie stars like Julia Roberts, Halle Berry, George Clooney, Jim Carrey, and Will Smith. That is, until recently. You might notice that the people I named are of a previous generation. I mean, we still have movie stars like Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, but movie stars don't wield the same power that they once had at the box office. Putting Jennifer Lawrence or Will Smith in a movie no longer guarantees that you'll have a hit. Nowadays, what drives people to the movie theaters are franchise films. Superhero movies like Avengers, Black Panther, Wonder Woman and Spider-Man, reboots and sequels like Jurassic World, and space adventure movies like Star Wars. We are living in the golden age of the tentpole movies. It's not the studio system or the star system. It's now 
the fan system. And fans do dictate what types of movies are being made. In the case of Star Wars, this does not mean that we say, give us an Obi-Wan Kenobi film, and Lucasfilm will do it. But it is because the Star Wars fandom has been so passionate all these years that Disney thought it was a smart move to buy the company and make new movies. We are the built-in audience that every company and brand desperately wants to have. Okay, here's the second section. Has this shift in the power dynamic between movie studios and moviegoers given fans a false sense of ownership over the films that get made? I think that because the film industry has become so fan-driven, it makes a certain subsection of our fandom feel like they deserve to be catered to. Lucasfilm should listen and obey their every demand, and when that doesn't happen, they threaten boycotts or threaten to leave the fandom forever. It's easy to see how we got to this current state. When you look at how the power has shifted from the five-studio system to now millions of fevered fans. Let's be real. It's not like Star Wars fans expressing outrage is anything new. We all remember the uproar around the special editions and, of course, the prequels. In a 2012 New York Times interview, George Lucas shared why he had no desire to make any more Star Wars films. Quote, Why would I make any more when everybody yells at you all the time and says what a terrible person you are? End quote. Like all of us, George is not immune to feeling the sting of criticism. He's also never wanted to answer to anyone, whether it's fans telling him how his movies could have been better or a studio giving him script notes. It's why he founded Lucasfilm in the first place. George wanted complete control over his art. He didn't want to ask for anyone's permission to make the movies he wanted to make. By the time he had decided to sell Lucasfilm to Disney, George Lucas knew he had too much going on in his personal life to take on the huge commitment of making a new Star Wars film. But he was willing to be a part of the pre-production process if Disney would have him. It soon became clear that Disney and George had different visions for the sequel trilogy. Here is George talking about that difference in 2015. One of the issues was the first three movies had all kinds of issues. They looked at the stories and they said, we want to make something for the fans. So I said, all I want to do is tell a story of what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, it started here and it went there. And it's all about generations and it's about, you know, the issues of fathers and sons and grandfathers. And it's a family soap opera. Yeah. And it's all about family problems and that kind of, it's not about spaceships. So. They decided they didn't want to use those stories. They decided they were going to go do their own thing, and so I decided, fine. But basically, I'm not going to try to... They weren't that keen to have me involved anyway, but at the same time, I said, I'm not going to... If I get in there, I'm just going to cause trouble because they're not going to do what I want them to do. So, And I don't have the control to do that anymore, and all I would do is muck everything up. It's funny that the fans yelling that Disney ruined Star Wars don't realize... That Disney has been trying to give the fans what they want all along. George Lucas didn't want to make a film for the fans. He wanted to make a sequel trilogy about a microbiotic world where the wills are the ones who actually control the universe and feed off the force. I love George. While fans have yelled at George for years, 
I have no doubt it would have been a million times worse if social media had been around when, say, the prequels first came out. Now, I'm not sure if all the vitriol we've been seeing online since 2015 is because of people's access to social media or the fact that a mega corporation now owns Star Wars. My hypothesis is that because it's a huge corporation, people feel like they need to shout louder to be heard. They need to start petitions, lead boycott campaigns, harass every Star Wars person on Twitter to get their message heard. If Lucasfilm was still privately run by George Lucas, would there be as many angry fans making death threats, posting abusive messages, dedicating entire YouTube channels to saying how much Lucasfilm sucks? Yeah, probably. After all, George is an anti-establishment liberal who is a 60s kid through and through. I don't know how much Lucasfilm and Disney are listening to what we want. I know that John Kazan said that if we want an Underworld movie, we should tell them because Lucasfilm is listening. Which can kind of be confusing. A lot of us have been shouting for them to hire a female director, but that cry hasn't been heard yet. I don't know about you guys, but... I don't want to be in charge of what Star Wars movies get made or shelved. That's the artist's job. My job as a moviegoer and a fan is to sit back, eat some popcorn, and hopefully enjoy the film they made. And if I don't, well, I don't have to see it again. I'm not going to curse out Ryan Johnson on Twitter or threaten a riot on Facebook to show Disney that I won't stand for these types of stories anymore. Which brings me to the third and final part. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What the heck has happened between fans and Star Wars actors? Up until recently, my view of the Star Wars fan community was that of celebration. Like, literally, when all of us fans would gather at Star Wars Celebration... When you walk through the convention floor or are sitting in the audience of a panel watching Warwick Davis or Mark Hamill, you can feel the love, excitement, and camaraderie in the air. It's magical. I think for many years, the interactions Star Wars celebrities have had with us fans has been overwhelmingly positive and uplifting. It's why year after year, Warwick Davis and Mark Hamill and Peter Mayhew and even George Lucas himself have gone to celebration to be amongst the fans. Mark Hamill has been especially kind to fans over the years. Even on Twitter, he would wish people a happy birthday if they asked. That led to way too many people asking for a happy birthday, you know, but he did oblige for a long time. Mark Hamill sees Star Wars fans as truly special. He's even given them a special name. Here he is on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert in 2017. Stipulate that it's not for everybody. Not everybody loves Star Wars, but the people who do, I call UPFs, ultra-passionate fans. And they love this thing to the point where they relate stories of how it got them through their mother's illness or they met their wife online or they... It's just... It's become such a fabric of their lives. It's it's truly moving. I don't see it on a day-to-day basis, but when I go out in public or to these celebrations and so forth... It's just astonishing how passionate they really are. And uh, I don't take it for granted. And, uh, you know, if it weren't for the fans, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to Stephen Colbert. Mark Hamill is right to some extent. Star Wars fans have revered him for decades. And even before the sequel trilogy, we made sure his place in pop culture was cemented. Hamill has always been gracious to his fans and felt indebted to them. But I feel like he's giving us way too much credit. The reason Mark Hamill has become such an icon is because of his own doing. His performance as Luke Skywalker in both the original trilogy and now the sequel trilogy shows what a tremendous talent he is. His successful voice acting career surprised audiences with his acting range. 
And over the years, he's proven time and time again that he is more than just a farm boy from Tatooine. And yet, Mark Hamill will forever be linked with Luke Skywalker, mainly because he too is optimistic, kind-hearted, and has become the chosen one for so many of us fans. I think that some fans might see Mark Hamill's gratitude and go, Aha! See? Star Wars actors do owe their careers to us. We are the ones with the power. Well, no. What I will say is that look at the stark contrast to how Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher were received versus how John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, and now Kelly Marie Tran were received. I know, it's like apples to oranges because of the eras and the fact that Star Wars A New Hope was the first of its kind, but my point is this. Mark Hamill has been beloved by generations of fans. This new cast? John Boyega's first appearance in the teaser for The Force Awakens was met with racist comments. Daisy Ridley was criticized for portraying a, quote, Mary Sue, And after she shared her thoughts on an Instagram post about gun violence, she was met with an onslaught of hateful comments from fans. Kelly Marie Tran was attacked for being one of the most, quote, useless characters in The Last Jedi. And after countless racist and abusive comments on her Instagram, she, like Daisy Ridley, left the platform. These kids should be enjoying their time in the Star Wars spotlight. This is a huge moment in their careers. And yet, after being thrust into this community, two of them have decided they were better off not interacting with fans. It's times like this that I wish Carrie Fisher was still here. She really did serve as a mentor of sorts to this younger cast. You know, she had really just been through it all. Unlike her co-star Mark Hamill, Carrie had a different relationship to the public and fans. Carrie Fisher grew up watching her mother, Debbie Reynolds, sign autographs for legions of fans. Debbie went out of her way to thank her fans, take the time to talk with them, and she was always on, so to speak, whenever she was in public. Debbie Reynolds grew up in the studio system, and therefore she was a true movie star always trying to preserve the magic of a bygone era. Her daughter, Carrie, never played that role, which is why we loved her for it. She was thrust into the spotlight at only a few weeks old, so she literally grew up in the public eye. Because Debbie Reynolds and Eddie Fisher were America's sweethearts, it made strangers feel like they knew Carrie, too. It made strangers feel like they were entitled to comment on her appearance and everything about her was judged. So in a way, she kind of grew up with people trolling her to her face. Carrie's relationship with her fans was very different from her mother's. She affectionately referred to signing autographs for money as a celebrity lap dance. As Carrie said in her book, The Princess Diarist, quote, instead of stripping off clothes, the celebrity removes a distance created by film and stage, both traffic and intimacy, end quote. While the old studio system kept fans at a distance, conventions opened up fan interactions so that it was intimate. 
Instead of writing a letter to Carrie Fisher and hoping that MGM would mail you an autographed headshot, you could pay money to meet her. Hug her in person, tell her how much Leia changed your life, and get a photo with her that you cherish forever. Getting the chance to have an intimate moment with someone like Carrie Fisher was an incredible opportunity. At least, that's our perspective as fans. Her perspective as an actor and as someone who saw these celebrity lap dances as added income was very different. When I read this chapter in The Princess Diarist, I could not help but see myself in some of these awkward fan interactions that she shared. She is honest about these interactions and how they made her feel. She talks about how there is a lack of empathy amongst some fans. They would request a lengthy inscription, extra inscriptions for their friends, all being polite while asking for these things, of course. And Carrie was well aware that these polite interactions could quickly turn hostile if she didn't oblige. She thought that they might say something like, well, you wanted to be in show business, and if you didn't want people to want your autograph, you should never have become an actress. At fan conventions or events, many celebrities happily sign autographs, take photos, and interact with fans. In those instances, it is part of their job and they have agreed to partake in these interactions. But when these actors are at the grocery store, or out at dinner with their family, or just, you know, searching online, they don't owe us anything. They do not owe us retweets, likes, answers to our burning questions about why their character did XYZ in the film, they do not owe us a hug after we sobbingly tell them how their character changed our life for forever, nor do they owe us a selfie because we own every one of their action figures. That's not their job. It's nice when they happily take a photo with us or like one of our posts or listen sweetly as we pour our hearts out to them. They do these things because they want to because it makes them happy, or because they're genuinely touched by our sobbing stories. But their job, the thing they get paid for, is to give life to these Star Wars characters, learn their lines, show up for fittings, memorize their blocking so that in a crucial scene they don't mess up a great shot because they're off their mark and therefore out of focus. Their job is to be a good employee, just like any job. Show up on time, be professional, be a team player, and work well with others. At the end of the day, all of our favorite Star Wars directors, writers, actors, and producers are just people. They just happen to have really cool jobs. And just like there is a five-foot young woman inside the costume of Mickey Mouse at Disneyland, behind Princess Leia, behind Rose Tico, behind Finn, behind Luke Skywalker, are actors simply doing their jobs. Yes, they are incredibly talented people with incredible charisma and acting ability that makes us believe that they are these characters living in a galaxy far, far away, but they are not immune to pain, sickness, heartache, depression, or any other emotion. In the words of Goldie Hawn's character from the First Wives Club, you think just because I'm a movie star I don't have feelings. Well, you're wrong. I do have feelings. I'm an actress. I have all of them. I think a 
a lot of people believe that celebrities don't have a right to be sad or angry or insecure or anxious. They should be grateful. That's the only emotion they are allowed to feel. After all, they are rich, they are loved by many, and they get to run around in costumes all day, plain pretend. They have it easy. But what these people forget is that being a celebrity doesn't make you immune to pain or sadness. In fact, fame can actually amplify these feelings. Some people also believe celebrities should not voice their opinions on anything political, religious, or quite frankly, anything that someone might find offensive. But as we know, studios no longer control what actors do and say. Yeah, of course, actors have publicists who might advise them to avoid saying something in particular, but actors, writers, directors, they have their own free will. They can curse, they can share their thoughts on gun control, immigration, or why they love pizza. As John Boyega recently tweeted, quote, If you don't like Star Wars or the characters, understand that they are decision makers, and harassing the actors, actresses will do nothing. You're not entitled to politeness when your approach is rude, even if you paid for a ticket. End quote. We are not their bosses. Nor do I want to be a studio mogul telling John Boyega or Chuck Wendig what they can and cannot say. I don't want to go back to the days when our favorite actors were like gods and goddesses that us mere mortals could never speak to. If we get the chance to have an interaction with one of our Star Wars heroes, I want it to be a real and a positive one. And maybe that is the answer that I have been searching for throughout this episode. I know that there are some fans that are very vocal online. You know, they feel threatened that a black man and an Asian American woman are now an integral part of Star Wars. They are angry over the direction of the franchise. And I'm not referring to anyone who has thoughtful criticism on these new films. I'm talking about the vocal minority. They are loud. But I think we can be louder. There are more of us that love this franchise, and while we may have some criticisms, we want the best for the movies, because that means the best for us. It's easy to get loud when you're angry, but imagine if we're loud when we're excited, happy, and want to thank a Star Wars creator. Our feeds would be flooded with positivity and Star Wars joy, which is how my timeline looked before 2015. Platforms like Instagram and Twitter still need to do a better job and actually enforce a zero-tolerance policy against racism, misogyny, and abuse. But in the meantime, why not tweet or post positive comments to Star Wars writers, directors, and actors online? I'm hopeful that if we remind these talented people how much we have enjoyed their work, it will remind us why we continue to love it. It's a small gesture and a small interaction, but a real one. We are lucky that social media has given us the power to connect with the stars of Star Wars. And I want to use my powers for good. Well, friends, this is more of an investigative beeps or pontificating beeps. I'm not quite sure. It's also the third episode where I talked about the state of the Star Wars fandom. So I am considering this episode the conclusion in that trilogy. 
How are you all feeling? Do you feel like things have gotten better in our fandom this past week? Worse? Do you have any thoughts on what we can do to make our community a more positive space? Let me know. You can find me on Twitter at Jennifer Landa or at Four Center Pod. Hashtag happy beeps. You can also connect with me on my Facebook page and on Instagram as Jennifer Landa. As always, a huge thank you to Tony Thaxton for our boppy happy beeps theme songs. You can check out his work at patreon.com slash Tony Thaxton. And speaking of Patreon, we are so appreciative of all of our patrons who support our work and keep our little engine running. If you'd like to support what we do, visit our site at patreon.com slash center. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, beep bop boop. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.